Good morning. My name, my name is Daryl Crawford. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I'm very privileged and honored to speak to you this morning, to, to share with you the Word of God. Um, after singing those songs, we could say amen and go home, right? Um, it was great. Thank you so much for, for doing that. And I see where Josh gets his bass playing abilities now. I, um, <laughs> I, I, sat, I, I attended church with Josh um, for a few years, and I sat next to him. I was playing acoustic guitar. He was playing bass. So there are similarities, definitely. So good job. You know, we, when we look at our world today, and we can get very discouraged, can't we? By all the things that we see in the news, and we hear on the radio, and we see what's going on in our, our culture, it can become very discouraging. Times when we, we can become almost distraught. This morning, if you turn your Bibles to Isaiah 40, we're going to look at a reason that, that we can be encouraged. We don't have to, to look at this culture and, and the slide into sin that we see, we're going into and say, look, there's no hope. We have great hope in our God. A time in my life where this, this became more, you know, you have those moments where the light bulb goes on, where, you know, the Holy Spirit brings to memory scripture you've read and, and just, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's what that means. That, that's what that's all about. And you find comfort. There was a time in, in my, my wife and I's best life where we were working at a camp and it was, uh, the time when uh, homosexual marriage was voted to be legal in our country. And I was just thinking through things and saying, where, where are we going? What is happening in our country? And getting very discouraged. It was a Friday. And that, and that evening we always had what was called all camp worship where all the high schoolers and the middle schoolers and the, the elementary kids would all gather and we would sing. And there was two songs and I was sitting there watching that evening there were two songs that we were singing that really just, one was Romans 16, 19. If you've ever been around kids, you know, Romans what? And kids just scream it. You know, and, and what that one part of the song says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan, right? And God will crush him. And all the kids jump up and down, right? They spin underneath his, underneath your feet and they go hoo-ha like that. Another one was called We Are More Than Conquerors. I'm not even going to do, you know, the, all the motions and everything. You would throw me, be like, who is this guy? <laughs> and why is he here if I started doing that? When we come to Isaiah chapter 40, we come to a time that follows in Isaiah 39 where Hezekiah shows Babylon all of the riches that they have. And God tells them, look, you are going to be one day overthrown by them. And Hezekiah says he finds peace, that he'll have peace during his lifetime. And in chapter 40, it's almost like we're going forward in time where, where God is speaking to Israel and giving them comfort for what they are facing. And at the beginning, in 1 through 5, I'm going to start in, in verse 6, but 1 through 5, we see something that we're very familiar with, starting in verse 3, where it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We know that is a prophecy of who? John the Baptist, right? So there's hope. There's hope. Even though there's going to be conquer, you're going to go into exile through Babylon, there is hope. And then we come in, in verse 6, and it says this, The voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, we just say this, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and shown him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, and they are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for, casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood, that it will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning. Lord, you are awesome, God. And as we look at this passage this morning, may we know that even more. That when we go out from here, we would cry out saying, Behold our God. He is great. He is awesome. He is grander and bigger than anything we could imagine. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to this. That we would live a life worthy of that which we have been called to, Lord. That those around us would see that we love you. And we have a sufficient Savior in Jesus Christ. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So, we can find comfort in God's eternality versus our temporal existence. It says here in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? So Isaiah is hearing this. He says, what? Cry out. He said, what? What shall I even cry? What shall I say? It starts out, all flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. Flesh. Mankind compared to grass. As I drove up this, this morning, I was looking, you got a lot of lawn out there, but it's not looking too good at this time of year. It doesn't. Because it, it rises up, and then just, if, even in the summer, if it doesn't rain, it's gone. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. The beauty is like the flower of the field. We think of how, as we get older, our body wears out. And I'm reminded of this now. Even at my younger age of 44, that after two knee surgeries, I can't do a lot of the things that I used to do. At the church I attend, there's this young man who always jumps up on the stage. 
I think, I could have done that at one time. But now it would just hurt. And I might embarrass myself quite badly by not jumping high enough. The, the body is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. And we, every day we can be reminded of that, how, how weak and feeble we really are when compared to the Lord our God. God versus mankind. Mankind fades and withers. God is eternal. God versus mankind. We change. God is unchangeable. We can cry out because God is awesome. We can cry out and say, look, Babylon may seem great, but do not fret. They are just withering grass and fading flowers. We think of the great, the great men who ruled and had great armies. How many of us still fear King Saul? How about Nebuchadnezzar, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Nero, Napoleon, Hitler? They're gone. They, they've had an impact on history, but they hold no power over anyone anymore. At one time, they were very powerful, but they're, they're raised up, they're brought down. We can remember this, that God is eternal and his word is eternal. So it says here, all the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. man named Voltaire, anyone ever heard of him? French Enlightenment. Um, He said at one time, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. He died in 1778. He was wrong. He was wrong. You know, there's many people who have tried to, to do away with the Word of God. Many have been killed and imprisoned during, in the Dark Ages, communist regimes, and during the Cold War era, and yet it remains. It is amazing to think that the Bible we read today is the same Bible that was being taught a thousand years ago in the church. And you know, if the Lord tarries, 2,000 years from now, let's say that, and we don't know, the same Bible will be being taught in the church then as it is now. Because the Word of God is forever. It is eternal. We can have confidence in what it says. So we can find comfort. We can cry out. We can say, God is the eternal God, the holy God. We can also find comfort in the strong arm of God. Starting in verse 9, it says, Get you up to the high mountains, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. I like that. Lift up your voice with strength. Because I don't know about you, but many times when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, we tend to cower a little bit, don't we? There's something that in us that we don't want to offend people, but we can speak the truth of God in strength with confidence. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. God comes with might. He comes with strength. You ask a a boy how strong he is, what may he do? He might, he might flex his muscle in his arm, right? To show you his strength. It says this, that the God will come with the might in his arm. And his recompense, his reward for his people is with him. 
there's this picture of the strength of God and the power of God, but then there's this other part of that he comes like a shepherd to tend his flock. Think of that. Caring for each one of us. He will gather the lambs in his arms. This eternal, magnificent God comes for his people, bringing his reward strong. We read in Revelation that he speaks. And all the armies of the world are as nothing to him. They're gone. Yet, he takes his people up and he tends them like a flock. He holds them in his arms, his strong arms. He'll carry them, us, to his bosom. The passage that comes to my mind, Psalm 23, right? Or Jesus, when he's, he's the great shepherd. He calls us, he knows us, he calls us by name. And it says, and gently lead those that are with young. So this is the setup here. We have, we're coming to this next part. We have great tragedies going to come, Isaiah 39. We have the prophecy. We have cry out. Here's what, here's what you can cry out. We have a great God who is eternal, a God who's coming with his reward, a God who is like a, a who's strong, yet like a, a shepherd, tending to his lambs, holding them close to him. Gently leading them that are with young. And then we come to this immensity of who God is. The picture of, of creation. Creation to us, the world, and everything that is in it, is huge compared to us. We got a lot of rain. Didn't, I, I don't know how much rain you got here, but we got a lot of rain in Grand Rapids. And even south they had more. I saw on Facebook yesterday someone posted um, jet skis in the roads in Kalamazoo. They were going under an overpass. I wonder how long that lasted. It's one of those watch this moments, you know. And so we got a lot of rain, and we're helpless against that. When an earthquake happens and the tsunamis come on land, we're, we're helpless. First thing I did because of the wind, I woke up in the middle of the night hearing that wind last night as I turned the lights on. Do we have power? It's, it's amazing how helpless I feel when just the power goes out and it's cold outside. I don't have a fireplace or anything in my house. But yet God is huge compared to creation. says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hands? I tried this, the hollow of my hand. That right there. I can fit one about one and a half teaspoons. I don't have that big of hands, but one and a half teaspoons, and then it starts coming out my fingers. That's it's not that much. Maybe one of you get a tablespoon in there. It'd be impressive, you know. But that's the picture. That's the picture of God holding the waters of the earth in His hand. Have you ever looked at a globe? I, obviously, most of you have, unless you're really young. What is it mostly covered with? Water. When we look at the earth's surface, we cannot comprehend the amount of water that is totally there on earth. We're still discovering things at the bottom of the ocean. We think we know so much, and every year they're discovering new things. We haven't, we haven't plumbed the depths of the water of this earth. Yet it says here that God covered, holds it in his hand. About 70% of our world is covered 
in water. And that picture is that God is so much bigger, so much greater. It's like one and a half teaspoons. There it is. I haven't traveled much, but I mean, I've been on Lake Michigan, and when the waves get big, I'm through. Um, but I couldn't imagine the, you know, sailing across the oceans, the, or even flying. It's amazing how fast we can fly, but it takes a long time to get from here to China. That's how grand, how big, and most of the time you're going to be flying over the ocean. God's huge splendor. It says next, measured the heavens, marked off the heavens with a span. A span is, is that right there. So, you know, when you don't have a ruler with you or anything, you can be like, okay, let's see here, you know, and you start marking things off. Simple, simple tool, you know, something that we have with us all the time. And you ask yourself, how long would it take to travel to the nearest star at the speed of light? 4.2 light years. So our nearest star is for Proxima, if I might pronounce some of these things wrong, Proxima Centauri is 4.2 light years away. So the Voyager spacecraft left the solar system at 37,000 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. I was going 75 this morning, and that seemed kind of fast with the wind whipping us across. But you know what? 37,000 miles an hour is a lot faster. It would take the Voyager 80,000 years to reach the nearest star at that speed. And our daily bread in one of the devotionals, it says the universe is astonishingly grand. Right now the moon is spinning around us at nearly 2,300 miles an hour. Our earth is spinning around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. Our sun is one of 200 billion other stars and trillions, trillions more planets in our galaxy. And that galaxy is just one of 100 billion others hurtling through space. Astounding! In comparison to this vast cosmos, our little earth is no bigger than a pebble, and our individual lives no greater than a grain of sand. Yet according to scripture, the God of the galaxies attends to each microscopic one of us in intimate detail. He saw us before we existed. He watches us as we go about our days and listens to our every thought. He measures the heavens with a span. He holds the waters in in the hollow of his hand. Next he goes on to say, he, he he enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. Think of this like if you ever have to add a pinch of salt to something. Taking it and just pinching it and that the dust of the earth. With three fingers, it's no more than just that. A pinch of salt. Think of hauling dirt with a shovel and a wheelbarrow on a 95 degree day. That's not fun. And we don't make that much progress. And that's just one little pile of dirt. That wears us out. But God takes the, the, the dust of this earth and all of that just like that. That's the, the largeness, the, the grandness of our God. He weighs the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. The Rocky Mountains. As I said, I haven't traveled very much. I haven't seen them yet. One day I hope to see them. 
The, the Rocky Mountains, they go from northern Alberta and British Columbia southward all the way to New Mexico, a distance of some 3,000 miles. I've seen pictures, and I've seen, you know, the, the Smokies, and they're big. But the Rockies are a whole other story, I'm told. Or the Alps. Think of them. They cover more than 80,000 square miles. The Alps go all from the continent of Europe and is dominated by them in one point. The hills in a balance. Think of that. God, he's, God created this earth and is in control. And there, God is telling Isaiah here to use metaphors of mankind using simple tools to build things in order to paint the picture of the majesty of God. There's something in, that has really helped me in my walk is this, that God is big C, creator, and everything else is little c, creation. There's nothing on the same playing field with God. Nothing. It's even a, it's even a bigger span than this. Let's say all of us adults were going to go against the kids that are in here in a game of, of football. We'd get them pretty good, wouldn't we, guys? You know, we might let them do a little bit to think that they're doing pretty good, but in the end, we could crush them. We wouldn't really be that mean, would we? Maybe. Now think of us in here going against, we'll even use a team that's not that great, the Detroit Lions. They, hey, they're my, they're my heart, man. I am... <laughs> but they still, they're an NFL team. Think of what they would do to us. Now, the playing field there is, is big. It's a big gap. But the playing field of big C creator to little C creation, there's nothing that even comes close to spanning that gap. Because we're not even on the same field. We're not even in the same... Because we, we can't do... What God does, we're not Him. There's only one. And many times we we want to put ourselves there. I mean, that's the, the original lie in the garden, right? You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But no one is ever there. It's not like the Satan's not even close. He's what? He's creation. In the book of Job. God had to give him permission. Satan could do nothing outside of what was in, coming from, from what God told him he could do. And may, some of us get that. You know, you watch Star Wars and there's the good and the bad force and you think that they're fighting against each other. No, that's not it at all. There's God and creator and creation. And he has great wisdom. And you know what? If he's on our side, if he's with us, what do we worry about? What do we fear? That's what Isaiah is saying here. Don't worry about the Babylonians. I am in charge. They are nothing compared to the seas, the heavens, and the dust of the earth, the mountains and the hills. And I, God, am much more magnificent and powerful than they are. Come down to verse 13 with me. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? 
Have any of you ever thought you could give God some advice on something? You think, I go back to the book of Job, another book that has had a profound impact on my life, is that Job, you know, if anyone we think could, could have the right to sit and, God, what, what's going on here? It would be Job, right? But when God finally comes, the, the, you know, the culmination of the book, bam, Job 38, here comes God, coming in the whirlwind. What happens? Does Job ask questions? Nope. God asks questions for chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. And in Job 42, Job repents. That's what happens. So, God is God. There's no one like Him. He needs no direction. He does not need a teacher. God does not need a counselor. He needs none of that. Think of the technology that we we have today. Sometimes I always think, I'd love to get into a time machine and go back to my friends in the neighborhood back in the day and show them this. And show them a video game. They're inside playing the Atari 2600, which that was out when I was a kid, and then show them this. Much more powerful. You think of the microchip. What is it mainly made out of? Silicon. Sand. Silicon makes up 27.7% of the Earth's crust. It is the second most abundant element in the, cr- in the crust, with only oxygen having greater abundance. Silicon is usually found in the form of complex silicate minerals and less often a silicon dioxide component or common sand. It's a major component of sand. When God created the heavens and the Earth, He created it with all the capabilities that we see today, all the technology, all of those things. He knew it. It's no surprise to him. It's not like he's looking down and saying, wow, they, they came up with computers. Interesting what they did. No, he knew. It, all of our technological advances, we're just using the tools that God gave us to make them. We, we image God. We do create things, but it's all made with the creation that he provided for us. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were commanded to work the ground. That can be farming, but it can also be where we find all the compounds we have. The nations to God. What does it say here? Verse 15. Are like a drop from a bucket. One drop. That's it. And are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like the fine dust. And this dust on the scales, we don't, we don't measure things on scales like they used to back in these times. But they wanted them to be very accurate, so they had to be cleaned up of all the dust. And so you know dust, how it settles on things, they would have to clean that fine dust off so it wouldn't be swayed in one way or the other. And that's what this dust on the scales is. Just that little bit, that's what the nations are compared to. You think of that. Think about the power of the United States military of what it could do if it, we unleashed everything that we had on a country and how fast it would happen. Think of all the people, all the armies of all over the world 
a drop in the bucket compared to God. That's it. That's all we are. We're, we're small. Small compared to Him. That there is, as I said earlier, in Revelation, God, Jesus comes riding on the white horse and He speaks. That's all He does. One person, God, and all the armies of the world are, are defeated. Just like that. We can also find comfort that nothing compares with God. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. Lebanon is, we, we read in there many times, the cedars of Lebanon. We read about them in the Bible. That's where they would go to get their wood. There's vast forests. So the animals are there in great, it's not sufficient. Nothing is sufficient. All the nations are as nothing before him. They account as him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not, will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. To whom can we liken God? Can, can idols compare with God? Now, we, we live in a different time. You're not going to go to the local trinket shop and buy an idol of Baal or Asherah or anything like that. But do we have idols in our society? We do. You think of money, power, fame, comfort. Some of it can even be just the, 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 the comfort we find here in America with our retirement plan and our jobs can become an idol. John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We keep creating them. Tim Keller says in a book, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Keller continues on saying, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. What do we have in our lives? Think of that. Search your heart. What would you have in your life that you could put on the same level of God if you lost that? People can be that. Our spouses, our children. They are great gifts from God, but may they never be in our minds in the same place as God. We can thank God for them, and as we, we know that if our families are within Christ, we will be with them for eternity, but may they never ever become in the place of God. We've, we, as in history, we create idols, and, and, but they're, they're mere what? They're mere creation. We go to Romans, you look in Romans chapter 1, where if you, what is we as mankind, we know God's there. But what do people do? They want to create their own God. Another way that we as Christians can do that is, is we can come to the Bible and something could be said about God, and you'd be like, ah, the God I believe in doesn't do that. 
But if it says it in the Bible, it's his word. Yes, he does. Don't, don't create an idol in that way either. We must remember there's nothing that compares with God. Nothing that we could go to. I want to look down a little bit further where it says in verse 22. It says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Think of that. Stretching out the heavens and how great we are. The multiplying the Milky Way, we have estimated 100 billion stars. It's a big number. It's one with 24 zeros behind it. And if you think of that, God spreads them out. He calls them by name. He numbers them. When we serve God, we serve the ultimate. There's nothing else in this world that even compares with Him. Everything is in God's control. Why do we need to be afraid? When, when we can grasp this, and I'm being reminded of it all the time in my life, I've not, I, I, once I think I have something and I have it somewhat figured out, well, then I, I learn that I need to go to a different level with that, right? But I can say that during the troubled times in my life, this knowledge of who God is and how He is working everything out for our good and trusting Him helps tremendously. I don't know what each... People bring pain. We, we have problems and issues in our lives, whether it's sickness or death or loss of job or a child that has walked away from the Lord. We can always trust God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Some verses that very real to me that if God has helped me understand Throughout life, it's like, rejoice in the Lord. Sorry, do not be anxious about anything. Or don't worry about anything. I come by worry pretty naturally. My mom was a worrier, and I followed suit. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make all your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding. What does it do? It guards our hearts and our minds. That's important. Because when we're going through things that are difficult, we can start to doubt, right? And to know that God is in control and He is huge and grand and big. And He, he knows what's going on. And not only is His reward's going to come with Him and, and He carries us along like a shepherd carrying a lamb. He guards us. Also in Romans, so I want to look real quick at Romans 8. Verses 37 through 39. Verse 39. 
knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is in control. He's big. We've looked at that this morning, at how grand and how huge God is. He doesn't need us, but think about that this God who measures the, the heavens with the span, who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand, became a human being, became a baby, lived a life on this earth, betrayed, unjustly accused of all kinds of evil that he didn't do. And then he let these people who unjustly persecuted him nail him to a tree, a cross, and die the death that a a thief, a murderer would have died. The lowest of society and was mocked and scorned, betrayed by one of his closest disciples. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. What love, what grace that is to come down to us when we think of how great God is and how Enormous, ginormous is the big word that comes to my mind. I know it's a combination of two words. Humbling to think of that he would do that for us. Even though I sin against him every day. Even though we, the depths of our hearts before salvation are wicked and we still have things that we think of that are and do that are completely wrong. Yet he... He died for those sins. What a humbling thought. What a a thought to take with us that we can go out into this world now and with strength and without fear we can say, there is a God, big C creator, who is greater than all of us. And you know what? He became a man. He walked this earth. He died for our sins. rose again the third day. We can go out with confidence. And then even in our trials, we can have confidence that God knows what is going on and He knows what is best for us. Amen? May we all go out to this week and in our lives and be heralds of the good news that we have an awesome Creator and an awesome Savior. Let's pray. Lord, words do not do you justice. Lord, but you, you hear our prayers. And you love it when your children come to you in prayer. And we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for creating this world. Thank you for being intimately involved in our lives. Knowing us. Loving us. Sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, we, we are nothing. Yet you call us your children. We deserve your wrath but we are joint heirs with your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to proclaim your greatness to those we come into contact with this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.